Won't you be seated? It's getting cold, I'm driving home on Interstate 30. Mama's calling, where you at? The turkey's almost done. I hang up the phone, tear in my eye. Moments like these I realize. God, you're so good to me. You make joy out of simple and ordinary things. You fill life up with stories I'd never think to dream. So this holiday I want to praise the one who's making a saint out of the sinner. The one who's turned me into this thanksgiver. Just took the pumpkins off the porch. The wreath is on my door. There's something sacred about the time of year when you were born. The streets are alive. It's Christmas again. The moments like these, hope I don't forget. God, you're so good to me. You make joy out of simple and ordinary things. You fill life up with stories I'd never think to dream. So this holiday, I wanna praise the one who's making a saint out of the sinner, the one who's turned me into this Thanksgiver. Father, we thank you uh, for your grace. Uh, we thank you for your salvation. And I pray that we would be um, a people that are exactly uh, like that song describes, that we would be uh, thanksgivers. And uh, we uh, can find things to be thankful for, even in the darkest night, even in the biggest trial. So help us to do that. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. A son uh, called home to his father uh, to let him know uh, that he and his family wouldn't be coming for Thanksgiving. And the father was like, well, that's kind of unfortunate, 
uh, your sister's not coming either, and we had uh, kind of a big announcement we wanted to, to make, uh, but uh, your mother and I are divorcing. And uh, he said, wait, what? And I said, yeah, we're, we're, we're calling it quits. We've been married 55 years, but we finally had enough, and, and that's, that's the way it's going. And the son just kind of screams. He's like, this is not happening. This is absolutely not happening. You've been married 55 years. Hold on, I'm, I'm calling my sister. We, we can work this out. This is not happening. So he calls his sister and tells her the news, and she blows up. She's like, oh, no, they are not doing this. This is absolutely, tell, tell them we're coming to not do anything till we get there. We're going to come and we're going to work this out. And so the son does exactly that, uh, gets off the phone, and, and the old guy kind of turns to his wife and says, well, they're coming for Thanksgiving and they're paying their own way. So, um, yeah, right. I want, you to, I want you to think about, as we kind of start this morning a little bit, about what are some of your Thanksgiving traditions? I know we're, uh, like Scott said, uh, we're, we're currently transitioning into Christmas, but we're going we're gonna to hold on to this just a little while longer, right? All right. Uh, what, what are some of your Thanksgiving traditions? Our cha- ours changed a little bit this year. Uh, typically, we are in Michigan for Thanksgiving, uh, visiting my family, and we have a couple of uh, very kind of cherished uh, Thanksgiving Day traditions. Um, the first one is we always sit down together as a family and we watch the Lions lose their football game. Um, and that's a, a cherished uh, Thanksgiving tradition that, that did not disappoint this year. All right, that happened again. Um, on Friday, our family usually goes out for Black Friday uh, and uh, do a little bit of shopping. And on Saturday, uh, before we leave, we exchange presents with my sister's family, and, uh, and more so even this year, uh, because of some stuff going on in our family and all that, and, and just, I think, being home, Thanksgiving for me, and it probably is for you as well, is a time of reflection just about all the blessings in my life and all the things that I do have to be thankful for, and I think that this is in part why uh, Thanksgiving is really a, a, a happy time for a lot of people. I know not everybody, but for a lot of people, Thanksgiving is kind of a happy time. And there are reasons for that. The awesome food uh, trumped the most by pumpkin pie, all right? And if you disagree with that, I'm praying for you, all right? So, uh, but pumpkin pie, uh, time with family that maybe you don't get to see uh, that, that often, uh, time off work, the ushering in of Christmas season. There's a lot to be happy about, but I wonder if some of the happiness that comes this time of year, a little bit of it, is that this is a time of year where we are encouraged and almost forced to think about Thanksgiving. When is the last time you met a really, really unhappy, thankful person, right? You've never met that person. And I know you can... uh, you know, kind of have a debate about which came first, the chicken or the egg. You know, are they uh, thankful because they're happy? Are they happy because they're thankful? You could play that game a little bit, but I think having a heart and a mind bent toward Thanksgiving is a really, really good thing for us. And that's what I want for me, and that's what I want for you. I want my heart and my mind with a bent toward Thanksgiving. I want to be a more thankful person And this makes a lot of sense because as Christians, the Bible talks about this repeatedly, but as Christians, we do Thanksgiving, right? And I'm not talking about turkey and uh, sweet potatoes and pumpkin pie. We are a Thanksgiving people, right? That that is who we are in, in Christ. And you might be tempted to say, but Steve, look at all that's wrong, man. Look at everything that's wrong. And I think that in our culture, it is really easy to do that, Right? 
it's really easy to focus on everything that's wrong. Just turn on your favorite news channel. Uh, and if you want to get really angry, turn on your least favorite one, right? And, and you will hear every single thing that's wrong. But it, it's not terribly Christian. It's not very Christian because we as Christians are a Thanksgiving people. And I've come to the conclusion that Thanksgiving is not just uh, possible. Thanksgiving uh, absolutely can happen because Thanksgiving is not a feeling. If, it's, if it was a feeling, it would be a lot more challenging to be thankful, right? As, especially when you're going through a difficult difficult time that you, man, you look at life and you're like, man, life is bad or I'm just not feeling it. If Thanksgiving were a feeling, it would let us off the hook, right? I'm not feeling it, so I'm not going to be thankful. Things are not good, so I'm not going to celebrate anything good. I'm just not feeling it, so it's not there. But Thanksgiving is not a feeling. I believe Thanksgiving is a practice. I think Thanksgiving is a discipline, just like praying is a discipline, just like reading your Bible is a discipline. Just like fasting, all right? I could go for a good fast today, to be totally honest with you, uh, after the weekend, all right? Fasting, uh, just like fasting or any other spiritual discipline, Thanksgiving is a spiritual discipline that we can practice and we can get better at. And I think we do need to practice it because our world is surrounded right now by what is wrong and what isn't right and what we can be angsty about. But Thanksgiving as a discipline helps us to see something different. Let me, I, I was really struck by this in a passage uh, from 2 Corinthians 4 that uh, Paul wrote one time, and he said this, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not for, um, from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus, so the life of Jesus may be, may be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may be revealed in our mortal body. Now, if thanksgiving were a feeling... The Apostle Paul would never be thankful again. Look at how he describes his life. He uses these words like we are hard-pressed, we are perplexed, we are persecuted, we are struck down. Hardly a reason to be thankful, but Paul viewed Thanksgiving not as a feeling, but Paul viewed it as a life discipline, something that we can choose to focus on. And so what I want you to see in this passage is he's not delusional. Right? He's not calling bad things good. He's saying we can choose what to focus on. So he's saying, man, he's not, what he's not saying is everything is great and everything needs to be celebrated. What he's saying is I am going to find, even in the difficult thing, I'm going to find the things to be thankful for. So he says, man, I'm hard-pressed. I'm not thankful about being hard-pressed, but I'm not crushed. And I am grateful for that. I'm perplexed, but I'm not in despair. I'm persecuted, but I'm not abandoned. I'm struck down, but not destroyed, right? And sometimes when you read Paul, I sometimes wonder if people had the reaction to him, like, were you dropped on the head as a baby? Like, what is wrong with you, right? You're not seeing, it's falling apart, Paul. Things are not going well. And he says, no, no, no. Even when I'm hard-pressed, even when I'm struck down, even when things are really difficult, I will choose to focus my heart and my, and my mind on the thing in this situation that is good. And I want to have that kind of thanksgiving in my heart and in my mind. We did this thing uh, with my son Sam 
uh, when he was about my daughter Lila's age. She, she's five years old, and that's probably about the time that we did it with Sam. But we, someone gave us this Thanksgiving tree, a little tree that we had at our dining room table, and it came with uh, stickers uh, that you were to kind of brainstorm all the things you were thankful for, and then as Thanksgiving month unfolded, you would adhere the stickers to the tree. And uh, we did it with Sam, and what I started to notice when we did that with him was that a lot of his Thanksgiving was very relational-based. That, man, I'm thankful for our family. I'm thankful for our friends. I'm thankful for our, our church. I'm, I'm thankful for all of that stuff. And as we did it, it got me thinking that if you think of Thanksgiving as a tree, those sorts of things that you might be thankful for are the leaves of that tree. And we should be thankful for those things. The Bible says that every good and perfect gift comes from, a, from above. So family, if family is great, be thankful for family. If finances are great for you this year, be thankful about your finances. If relationships are great, be thankful for those things. But what I've learned, and I think this is biblical, is that circumstances of life are the leaves, but they are not the roots. And I think a lot of people get this wrong, and when we mix this up, some really bad things can happen. But circumstances, relationships, all of that stuff, they are the leaves, they are not the roots. And so the circumstances of life, if they end up being the roots of our thanksgiving, when circumstances change or get difficult or bad things begin to happen, if they are the roots, all of a sudden the whole thanksgiving tree falls to the ground. When they're the roots, they shouldn't be the roots. Right? So if having a job is the roots of your thanksgiving, when you go through a layoff or you go through a hard time at work or you're unemployed, all of a sudden the whole thanksgiving tree falls down and I don't have anything to be thankful for. If your health is the roots of the Thanksgiving tree and you get a bad diagnosis, all of a sudden the whole tree falls down. If your relationships are the root of the Thanksgiving tree and all of a sudden there's a bump in the road or you stop talking or you have a big falling out, all of a sudden if, if relationships are the roots, all of a sudden the whole tree falls down. And I've seen that happen to a ton of people. That circumstances, like Paul mentions, circumstances were the roots when they should have been the leaves. Um, and because they're the roots, all of a sudden a hardship comes or a bad diagnosis or a difficulty or a falling out. And all of a sudden that whole Thanksgiving tree just falls to the ground. And you, that's when people get, you would use the word dour, right? That there's nothing to be thankful about. And you're like, man, they, it seems like they have things to be thankful about. What is going on with them? The whole tree fell down because the roots were in the wrong place. And I honestly believe that the roots of Thanksgiving, they need to be in a different place. And I know... You're going to be shocked by this from a preacher, but I think the roots of our Thanksgiving tree need, need to be in God. You're like, oh, what? Yeah, yeah, I know. I know. It's hard to believe, right? They need to be in God because first of all, God is unchanging. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. So circumstances can change. And, and if those circumstances are the roots, that's when the tree falls over. But God is unchanging. And, and so he's a good one to have be the root. The other thing is that God is all-powerful. He's powerful enough to hold our worship. He's worthy enough to hold our worship, and he's powerful enough to hold our thanksgiving. So when God becomes the root of the thanksgiving tree, it can weather any storm, and that tree will still stand. And you'll still find reasons to be thankful. You'll still walk around with a sense of thanksgiving. Even when the leaves, you're in a period of fall where it feels like the leaves are falling at a massive rate, I don't know about at your house, but a couple years ago, uh, I would call Cheryl or whatever, and I was like, Thanks, uh, fall happened over the course of 30 minutes. Just all of a sudden at our house, it was, it was crazy. All the leaves just fall. And some seasons of life feel that way. 
that say, oh man, everything's on fire. Everything's falling. Everything's difficult right now. Everything, it just feels like perpetual fall. Even when you're going through a season where life feels that way, when God is the roots, he's unchanging, he's worthy of your worship, he's worthy of your thanksgiving, and that thanksgiving tree will never totally fall to the ground. It might be challenging, like Paul says, right? That, you know, I'm, you know when, when you read 2 Corinthians 4, he's looking for reasons to be thankful, it's challenging, but his roots were in God, so he was able to do it. And I'm telling you, I've seen this in a lot of people I know, and you've seen them too, where the seasons change, and fall comes, and they get a, the diagnosis of someone they love, a bad diagnosis, or they lose their job, or a relationship goes south, and there's this grieving that happens that is very normal. But what you'll start to see in them when their roots are in God, what you'll start to see in them is an abiding sense of thanksgiving and gratitude to God. And you'll hear them say things like, I have no idea how I would have made it through this season without God. I have no idea. Or they'll say things like, I believe God has a plan and a purpose even in this, and I can't wait to see what that plan and purpose is. Or they'll say things like, I believe that with God, I'm going to ultimately be okay, that he's going to give me the strength I need to make it through the other day. And like I said, the people around them are, are acting like they're the Apostle Paul going, where you dropped on your head, right? It is falling apart, dude. How on earth can you find this sense of gratitude? And they're not crazy. They have their roots in God. The roots of their Thanksgiving tree are God. So even when the seasons change and the leaves fall, they still have, I'm going to switch metaphors, a well of Thanksgiving to draw from. Right? So they're still able to do that. You see this attitude in Paul. You see it in the people around you in this room. But I think one of the best examples of it is in the book of Psalms. If you have your Bibles, you can look at Psalm 91. This is a collection of hymns and praise and songs and poetry. And what you'll discover it is a group of psalms, and particularly 91 through 100. We're not going to look at every one of those. You're like, how long are we going to be here? All right, it's not, we're going to skip around a little bit. But you're going to see a group of psalmists that are not affirming their circumstances are great, because some of them are really going through it, and that would be foolish. What they're affirming is not that their circumstances are great. What they're affirming is that God is great. And if you're really looking for a place to study this concept that we're talking about, I would recommend reading Psalm 90 through 106. It's called book four of the book of Psalms. And we, oh, we could do this all day long. We're not going to, but we could do this all day long in Psalm 90 through 106. But if you want to go home today and you're feeling like, man, Thanksgiving's been hard this year. And I'm not talking about the meal. I'm talking about the attitude. It's been hard for me to be thankful. If you're someone that's feeling that way, just read Psalm 90 through 106. 90 through 106. And you'll start to see this concept that we're talking about everywhere. Like in Psalm 91 too. I will say to the Lord, he is my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. So this is a great example because you're left to assume the psalmist is going through something, right? There's a storm waging for which he needs refuge. He's going through an attack. He's going through a, a, a difficult season with his health, whatever the case may be. He's going through a storm of some, time, uh, of some kind, and it is a reminder to us that the thanksgiving promise of God is not we'll never go through a storm. The thanksgiving promise of God is that when we go through the storm, he will be our refuge. 
And I think in the middle of a storm, when you're really struggling to be thankful for the storm that is brewing, you know what I'm saying? Like, I can't be thankful for that. It's too painful. It's too difficult. God's not asking you to be. What you can be thankful for is that God has given you a refuge, a place to hide in the midst of that storm. So in the middle of that storm, you might find yourself saying, man, in the middle of the storm, God was my refuge and he gave me hope. In the middle of that storm, God is my refuge and he gave me peace. In the middle of that storm, God was my refuge and he gave me joy. You're not expressing joy for the hardship. You're expressing joy for God. And that's exactly what this psalmist is doing. We're not told exactly what his hardship is, but he says, God, in the middle of it, you have been my refuge. You have been my fortress. You have been my comforter. You have been my salvation. And that is an amazing thing. Psalm 92, one through three. It is good to praise the Lord and make music to your name, almost high, proclaiming, you can underline this, proclaiming your love in the morning and your faithfulness at night to the music of the ten-stringed lyre and the melody of the, of the harp. So I love this. He says, all right, so here's what I want you to do, the psalmist says. I want you to get in the habit of proclaiming God's love in the morning. And I think this is a really good habit for followers of Jesus to get into. You get up in the morning and you make your coffee, you add your cream for those of you that are weak-minded, right? You add your cream, I do mine straight black, right? You make your coffee, you do your normal routine, and at some point, just like you make your coffee, at some point you spend some time in the morning proclaiming his love. Maybe you do it as you drink your coffee like I do. God, you love me so much that you made this. Thank you so much for this, right? I love it so much, right? So you're, you're getting in the habit of each morning, whatever your routine is, part of that morning routine is that you proclaim his love. And then look what he says. You do that, the reason you do that is so you can proclaim his faithfulness at night. So this is talking about two different disciplines, right? In the, in, when it's the morning and there's lots of hope and things are good, that's a time of day where you proclaim his love. But when night comes and it's difficult and it's dark in a season where I'm tempted to be fearful and I'm tempted to be scared, right? You remember when you were a kid and you always thought there was a monster under your bed? My daughter, Lila, she always wants these very large stuffed animals and like our family will buy them for her. And as soon as we put them in her room in the middle of the night, she's freaked out. She'll wake up in the night and she'll see that shadow. And she's like, something's in my room. It's like, no, we just, we bought that for you yesterday, right? This is supposed to bring you joy, not fear, right? That's, that's, how, that, that's how she is. So at night is when fear comes. At night is when we struggle to be faithful. And so he says, man, we proclaim his love in the morning so we can proclaim his faithfulness at night. It's, a, it's the same reminder that the same God that you encountered in the morning where you were proclaiming his love when times were good is the same God you can pray to and proclaim at night when you're scared. You proclaim his faithfulness at night. It's a reminder that he is faithful in the night. You're not alone in the night. Sometimes it feels like you're alone in the night. You're not alone in the night. He is faithful. He hasn't left you. He hasn't abandoned you. He's faithful and he's lovingly with you. He says, man, get in the habit of in the morning, proclaim his love. And at night, maybe before you go to sleep a little bit or 
if you want to take it to the metaphor of when you're going through a really nightly period where times are tough, proclaim his faithfulness at night. And it gives us something to be thankful for. He's not saying, man, be grateful at night when you're super scared and you don't know what the future is and you don't know how things are going to work out. Be grateful for that. He's saying, no, be grateful to God that he's faithful and he's with you and he hasn't abandoned you and he's given you his Holy Spirit to walk with you. Psalm 93. The seas have lifted up, Lord. The seas have lifted up their voice. The seas have lifted up their pounding waves. Mightier than the thunder of the great waters, mightier than the breakers of the sea, the Lord on high is mighty. Right? So you see this all throughout the Old Testament. One of the metaphors that the Old Testament writers in particular use to describe times of turbulence and difficulty and times where we're uncertain in life uh, is, uh, is a, a wild seas, right? Difficult seas, seas where there's a lot of wind and waves and, and all of that stuff. One of the th- things that I love is in Psalm 23, the writer of Psalm 23 reminds us, you know where God is leading you, you, leading you to? You remember? He leads you to still waters, Right? God's not leading you to the turbulent sea. Right? Um, a little over a year ago, we went to Oregon for a family vacation, and I was really taken aback by the turbulent seas out there. God is not leading you to the turbulent sea. God is leading you to still waters. I believe Jesus was also kind of making this point about who he is and what he came to do when he entered into a boat to cross the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden that wind rushed down from the mountaintop there near the Sea of Galilee, and all of a sudden the wind and the waves started to go, and the disciples were freaking out. They thought they we're going to die. You remember where the Lord was, where Jesus was? Asleep on a cushion. He's asleep on the cushion. They're all freaking out. He's asleep. And they're like, wake up, wake up, Jesus. How can you sleep during this? We are going to die, right? We are going to die. And all of a sudden, Jesus kind of groggy gets up and he looks at the wind and the waves and he says, quiet, be still. Quiet, be still. Be still. And I think it was a reminder to the Old Testament writers about that he also is leading us to still waters. That it may feel like the waters are churning up in your life right now. It may feel like the wind and the waves are beating against your house, but the Lord stands there and he's leading you to quiet waters. He's leading you to peace. It's what Jesus does. And when we talk about peace, we're not talking about this kind of nebulous, nilly-willy, kind of everybody feels peace sort of a, a thing. It's actually built and based on a truth that Jesus is more powerful than any storm we're facing. The psalmist says he's mightier than the breakers of the sea. And his power can always be seen in turbulent circumstances. Uh, I, I will never forget that trip I was just telling you about to Oregon. <laughs> Um, we were in one of those, uh, on the Oregon coast or whatever, and Cheryl wanted to go on, uh, it was whale watching, right? We were going to go on a whale watching thing. And we're watching, all right, this is the smallest entrance to a port, I believe, in the United States where we were. And I'm watching, the seas are turbulent, and uh, I'm watching these boats come into this harbor, all right? Smallest entrance, all right? So there's a very, very small entrance into this harbor. On either side, right on either side, there is rocks and certain death. All right, that, that's what we're looking at. And, I'm, and we're watching it and watching these boats enter this harbor. And I remember kind of turning to Cheryl at some point and said, should we do this? 
this seems like a bad idea. And she's like, I feel like we should, but you know, let's see what happens sort of thing, all right? And so we decided to do it, and what I'm watching happen is I realize how they start to do it, is that these boats would just bob in the Pacific Ocean, they just bob, and then the captain saw something. I don't know what the captain saw, he saw something, and all of a sudden he would gun that boat, I mean super fast, and he would zip in to that harbor safely, most of the time. um, No, all of the time. And so the captain knew something I didn't know. I still to this day look back, I can't see what he was seeing. But he knew what that situation needed was a little power from the engine to go through the wind and the waves and to make it safely into that harbor. And what we know about Jesus is that he always brings power to turbulent seas. And sometimes that power comes in life-changing circumstances where all of a sudden he's like, nope, quiet, be still, it's over. I'm calming this. Sometimes he does that. And sometimes he empowers us through his Holy Spirit by giving the courage, giving us the courage to face an obstacle and the strength to overcome it. Both are demonstrations of his power. Sometimes we want the power to look like A and not B. Sometimes we're like, man, God, if you were powerful, you would settle this wind and you would settle these waves. And he says, no, no, no. It is just as powerful for me to settle you. That is just as powerful. So sometimes he doesn't settle the waves. Sometimes he settles you. And both are a demonstration of his power. Whether he calms the sea or he calms us, what you can know in turbulent waters is that sometimes power is needed and Jesus has it. The same power that rose Jesus from the dead is at work in you. Psalm 94. The Lord is a God who avenges. O God who avenges, shine forth. Rise up. Judge of the earth, pay back to the proud what they deserve. How long, Lord, will the wicked, how long will the wicked be jubilant? So this is a psalmist that's looking, he's like, man, to him, or to him, it felt like the prideful, they were winning. To him, it felt like the wicked were winning. And his psalm is like, man, how long? Right? How long do they get to pass, go, and collect $200? Right? When they stole and lied and cheated me. How long do they get to continue to get the $200 after $200 in in the game of Monopoly? Not that I'm remembering anything from my past with Monopoly, but you get, how long, oh Lord, right? Are they going to cheat, right? And that's what he's saying about life. Isn't that how long are they going to be able uh, to get away with this? In my college, I've told you about this before, uh, but in my college years, I did my college thesis on the imprecatory psalms. They are sometimes called the cursing psalms. And there are these psalms where the psalmist would just call down judgment on his enemies. And it was a good time for me. Uh, uh, Spending six weeks reading these cursing, imprecatory psalms. I'm being sarcastic. It was not good at at all because you find yourself in traffic where someone uh, cuts you off in traffic and you've been in these psalms for six weeks and you're like, the God who avenges, shine forth. May their children be dashed against the rocks. Whoa, dude. Settle, right? Settle down. I just found myself immersed in these psalms, but one of the things that they have in common is they are celebrating a God who avenges. Right? These psalms are based on the idea that God is the judge and he will take care of justice. So sometimes when you're going through 
a season that is the result, a, a, a turbulent time, a difficult time that is the result of someone else's sin. It's important to remember this. When someone lied to you or hurt you or mistreated you and you're not finding yourself very thankful for them in that moment and you shouldn't, but you can be grateful for a God who avenges, a God who enacts justice, a God who loves justice, and a God who brings justice at just the right time. And you know what happens when you trust in a God like that? Grace comes from you. Grace comes. Forgiveness comes. And it's really amazing to see. So you could do this all throughout the Psalms, 91 through 106. And we could be here all day doing this. Uh, these uh, psalmists are celebrating who God is and what he has done. What I want you to see in each of these examples is the roots of their thanksgiving. It is not their circumstances. Circumstances come and go. Some years are good, some years are challenging and tough. The root of their thanksgiving is not their circumstances. The root of their thanksgiving is their God. It's not that their circumstances have changed. What they're going through is a really hard thing. It's rooted, though, in God who never changes. And let's find our thanksgiving there. We are a thanksgiving people. We live in a culture that really likes to focus right now on what's wrong and what needs to change, and what we don't like. And what, you know, there's a lot of angst and a lot of anger in our community right now. Not so with us. We are a Thanksgiving people because we are a God people. So a few commentaries have communicated that many of the Psalms in the, in the 90s, uh, not 1990s, but in the 90s of the Psalms, um, are, are leading up. There were some good Psalms in the 1990s, by the way, but that's not... <laughs> I digress, right? So uh, in the 1990s, they are, or in the 90s, um, excuse me, they are leading to this kind of climax of Psalm 100. That's a, that's a lot of the point of these Psalms in the 90s is that they're leading to this kind of climactic moment of Psalm 100. And the way I want to close for you is I want to read to you Psalm 100. And I want you to see our truth again today, that our, the roots of thanksgiving are not in our circumstances. The roots of our thanksgiving are in our God. Here's what it says. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy. And right now, as we're getting ready to enter into a time of communion as a church family, this is a time where we get to practice this skill. That no matter what's going on in our life, no matter what circumstances we're facing, no matter what hardship is underway, no matter how turbulent and windy and rocky the water is around us, right now we can come in here in a quiet moment and we can be thankful because you gave your son your one and only son, whom you love for our salvation. And so right now, may we lay down our burdens, may we lay down our cares, and may we pick up the cross, the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus, and may we wonder and marvel at what you have done. We thank you again for Jesus. 
It is in his name we pray. Amen. Hey, we're going to receive communion together, like I said, and it's an opportunity for us to practice this skill. Say, man, we're going to be a thanksgiving people because we are a God people. We are a Jesus people. So right now, let's be thankful and celebrate him. They're going to, uh, uh, ushers are going to pass out the emblems. You can just hold on to those and just express gratitude to God for what he did through his son. And then I'll come back up in just a minute, and we'll receive it together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. Lord, again, we thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. May we remember it and celebrate it and have our thanksgiving rooted in you. Not in what's going on because that changes and uh, sometimes the leaves fall and it's just a season where leaves are falling and there's a sense of loss and we grieve that because that's what we do and, and what we should do. But may our sense of thanksgiving be rooted in you and your power and your grace so that the whole tree doesn't fall in those moments. The tree can stand because our thanksgiving is in you. It's the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Hey, uh, uh, I hope you had a, a great Thanksgiving weekend. And uh, next Sunday, um, we are going to uh, start a new series, our Christmas series. Uh, we're kind of uh, to squeeze in one more Sunday of Christmas because Christmas is on a Sunday this year, which is always kind of cool. Uh, we'll have our services here uh, at 10 o'clock, no Sunday school or anything, just a service. And um, we are, uh, the title of that series is called Wonder. And uh, we're just going to be talking about, there's a lot of these passages throughout your New Testament that describe Jesus as the mystery, that he was the mystery about what God was doing throughout the New Testament. And every once in a while, we are, as Americans, we are a people that like explanation, but for a minute, we wanna put our explanation hats aside just for a little bit, and at Christmas, we just wanna stand there and wonder about what God has done. So go ahead and stand, and let's sing one last song, and we'll get started on that next Sunday. <laughs>